right, welcome to episode 93. I was just kidding about that song right now. Oh, I got you. Yeah. Uh, Josh Osborne. Josh Osborne's here. We've met, it feels like every time we meet, it's like, but this is just my impression. Mm-hmm. Both of us kind of don't like to be in the way. That's exactly right. I, I'm the, I feel like anytime I'm anywhere, I'm the one people don't want to talk to. So I'm just on the wall. <laughs> no, I don't think, I think I'm the one people don't want to talk to. People want to talk to you, but you can hide behind me. And so every time I see you, it's like, hey man, are you good? Yeah, yeah, good. Shake hands. Like, we don't, okay. Heads down, see shake you, hands. See you soon, buddy. I'm a big, big fan. Keep doing good stuff. Good. Well, it's good to have you. Good to have you in, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I told uh, Josh before we started, I was like, yeah, who would have thought anybody cared about songwriters? And you know what's funny? I did an interview mm, I earlier this week about this podcast, and they were like, hey, why'd you start doing a podcast about songwriters and I said well it wasn't just about songwriters it's about the second level of Nashville that people don't normally get to hear about sure. in the songwriter world you are again king dingaling and people don't it's got to be so weird to be so and you're, you're going to play humble but you're so big but yet no but for lack of a better term you can walk down the street nobody oh, knows sure. who you are no that's a, that's a big part of the appeal for me really like, so I, you I, don't care about no not at all i love i love writing songs i want people to like my songs um, but I don't necessarily am wor- I'm not necessarily worried if they know me or not. I just am more, I love the music and I love the camaraderie of the writers and stuff, but I don't get as much hung up on the other part. Do you want a billboard like Shane McAnally <laughs> where his face is up there and then we all drive by and go, nah, there he is. No, no, I don't. Okay. All right. And that's why Shane, I think that's why Shane and I work so well together. You are, yeah, you're a quiet dude. You're, you're, a, you're, a, I like that about you because I am too. And people expect when I walk into a room to be the big guy, the big gregarian. Hey, right, right. I got nothing to say to anybody. You <laughs> well, know, you say it all day though. You've I, already man, said it. I've talked for seven hours. That's it. I'm out. Yeah. yeah I'm d- yep. So you have uh, I mean, fourteen number one. Fourteen, yeah. That, that you have so many clips. We didn't even put them all. In. You have so many number one. You're my age too. <laughs> like, there's no way you should have all this money and all these songs. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Like, but it, it, like, really, I come from I didn't think I'd be able to do what I loved and make a bunch of money and that was okay with me sure because I loved just right. being able to be on the radio and be on stage and do stand-up comedy like I just loved it it didn't matter what I paid I right. was going to do it and yeah. that's it and I, I get a feeling because you come from Kentucky I'm from yeah. Arkansas that's well, right basically the same it's the state. same right it's, yeah. it's the same yeah. thing I have a feeling that here you are now and I mean it's got to be kind of unexpected it to is, come down yeah. and not because of your talent, but because who would have thought you could write songs and be really successful? I didn't. I mean, I love what you said. I think there's so many creative people that that's the truth. I mean, we would do this like if we weren't getting paid. I think that's the one of the secrets of life is find the thing you would do for free and get somebody to pay you for it. And and that that's my whole goal or my whole thought process in doing music was I love doing this. I'm too stupid to stop doing it. So if eventually I can be successful and lucky... Um, that was the dream, and, and luckily for me, it happened. So when you moved to Nashville in 98-ish, 18 years old, yeah. right out of high school. Yep, that's right. So was the dream, well, you, you don't want to be an artist, huh? Well, when I first moved here, I think a lot of people have that happen. Um, I didn't know being a songwriter was a thing. And so when I first moved here, I probably did have a, a little bit of um, an idea of maybe I would sing songs and write them and stuff. I just knew I loved writing the songs. I didn't know I could just write them. Was that a big jump for you to move down here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I come from a small town. Like uh, How many people? The actual Atlas population listed of my hometown is 300 people. 
It's Look very at that. small. Wow, because mine's 700. Yeah. And rarely does someone come in with you, a You, you could win. definitely beat our town in a fight. I'm the yeah. New York City. Yeah, well, yeah. exactly. You probably yeah. had two stoplights in your town. We actually had no stoplights, but uh, Hot Springs had stoplights and a lot of them, like seven. Well, see, okay, so we had Pikeville, Kentucky. I'm from Virgie, Kentucky, but Pikeville was the our Hot Springs, apparently. Virgie? Yes. Was your mascot the Virgins? Because that would have been awesome <laughs> if your school was the Virgie Virgins. It got called Virgin a lot. Yeah. Like if you were in... Um, Whatever they would say. And now the group from Virgin High School or whatever, Virgin Middle School. It's Virgie. No, we were the Eagles, Virgie Eagles. What were you like in high school? Uh, I think a lot like I am now. I've always kind of been pretty low-key. I love I love hanging out with people and I love, you know, trying to be funny, trying to make people laugh and stuff. But I, I, was, I was pretty much, I, I got along with everybody. I had friends that were football players. I had friends that were in the band. I had, uh, I, I just don't. I, I just kind of like everybody. I'm a pretty easygoing guy. That's your reputation. Yeah. Uh, I was just talking to someone today who's a songwriter friend of mine. And they're like, hey, what's happening? And so, yeah, I'd, I'd been doing some stuff at work. I said, hey, Josh Osborne's coming by. I've been, we've been trying to get him for, you're, you're, you're tough to book for like four oh. months. <laughs> it's like trying to get Lady Gaga of songwriters. It's like, hey, with Jay. And he was like, Josh is the, probably the night. Because people will come in and, and I have friends, a lot of songwriter friends. And I'll call them and go, hey. Nice guy or uh, misunderstood. Sure. You know, how, how's he going to come off? And, and they're like, you know how Barry Dean was super nice? Josh Osborne even nicer. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know about that. I was yeah. like, well, that's good to know. That's very nice of them. So to that, say, yeah. that's the reputation that you have from sure. un, unknown <laughs> from artists unknown, yes. that we'll I call reach them writer out to. X, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, writer, artist. Yeah. <laughs> you have a, I mean, I, I, I bet we'll just start with a couple songs. Okay. I mean, dude, it's like I'm looking at the top 25 uh, football team and going, just pick a team. It's good. I mean, all these are. How about I'm just gonna hit this one? Okay. Here we go. This one. Maybe you heard this one before. <laughs> Has this been the one though? This like shifted it for you? Yeah, I mean, this is a song that reached a whole thing that I never thought was possible. Like it got into the pop part. It got into yeah. a different. Like, well, it started touching other walks of life. So my my wife's sister just recently got married in September. And so at her wedding shower, they would do a thing where back in the summer when they had her shower, they had everybody write out a card, like play, write down the three songs you want us to play at the reception that we can dance to. And every card had Body Like a Back Road on it. They didn't, you know, they obviously didn't all know I wrote that, but they that song was on there. And I've, I've never had a song touch that wide group of people you know what is this here this uh, Josh Osborne is this him singing it I think it's like on TV it's what on TV body like a back road <laughs> driving with my eyes closed. this is you yeah. I know with a curve like the back What's of my from? I think it was from the uh, the Nashville Today Show. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, from the cancer. I'm Look at this. Slow, just as fast as I can. You can sing. <laughs> the way she fitting in blue jeans, she don't need no bed. I could turn a man side out. I don't need no help. How do you feel about yourself as a singer? I uh, I don't think about it that much. Like, you don't. I, I'm not a. I'm not a. Again, I'm not a person. Most of my favorite artists aren't necessarily great singers, so I don't really get hung up on a great voice. Like, I love Bruce Springsteen, who's an interpreter. I, the Beatles are the reason I'm a songwriter. Um, uh, and, you know, John Lennon didn't necessarily have, like, this powerful, great voice. He was just an interpreter. He was a great um, 
great getting the message across. But I think the thing that drew me to country music was I did love country voices so much, like Keith Whitley, people like that. So the Beatles, are they your favorite band? Yeah. I mean, I know that's a stock cliche answer, but they are, yeah. I think it used to be. I think it's. I think now I believe people when they say the Beatles. The Beatles and Creed. Those mm. are the two that... <laughs> well, with arms wide open, I mean, that did change my at least my hairstyle. Listen, I went to Creed concerts. Did I'm you like, really? Of course. Oh, you tell me. Josh, you never went to a Creed concert? I did. Well, they never came to Virgie, so I didn't, I didn't get Yeah, to but I Creed. drove to Little Rock. Oh, well, you were a fan, man. You drove all the way to Little Rock. I me. drove to Little Rock, and I, I got into radio when I was 17, so I caught the Creed hysteria. And again, and we're the same was. age, yeah, so we we're, are, we're, yeah. all, we're the same, same points so, of reference. So just, just know where we are in life. Yes, I went and I was doing radio and I was a teenager, and I went to a Creed show, and I was backstage, and Scott Stapp comes walking oh, through. Yeah. You know, yeah, man, Scott Stapp, I'm Scott, oh, I'm Scott Stapp. And he talks yes. like that, and he, and he acted he really? like that, and, oh, and he was like, "Hey, I'm looking for a ping pong table." And here I am, I'm a teenager, and, and Creed is the <laughs> biggest band Absolutely. in America at the time, and I'm like, oh, "Okay." I got to find this guy a ping pong table. I'm calling people. Anybody got a ping pong table? So finally we find a ping pong table. They bring one in. They're like, hey, I'm looking for somebody to play with you. You ever play? I don't play ping pong. Yeah, right. I probably played five times in my life. I was like, of course I play ping pong. He's like, hey, let's play a game ping pong. And I'm, for, I'm, I'm peeing myself because I'm about to play ping pong with oh, yeah. Scott Staff from Creed. This is the guy. You know? Man. What if? What if? So we start to play and he's really good. And he beats me 25-0. And oh my gosh. Well, I suck. I know, but still, that's the shutout. That's impressive. But I was really bad. And then he told me, hey, can you find somebody who knows how to play? And I hung my head in shame. <laughs> and that's my Scott Stapp story. Wow. Yeah, because the Beatles and Scott Stapp to me are, are the Interchangeable? Same. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I you, got you. you can insert one where the other is. Yeah. So have you get to, you get to do a lot of cool things. Have you got to meet Paul McCartney? No. And actually, I, I do have a, a funny McCartney story. A few years ago, um, I was in L.A. for the Grammys. And Shane McAnally, uh, who I work with a lot, um, is not, I mean, he obviously knows who the Beatles are, but he's not a, a fan. I mean, I'm, I'm a big time fan. They really are. My dad introduced me to the Beatles music when I was like 12 or 13. That's what made me want to be a songwriter. And so Shane had, had said, okay, I'll meet you downstairs for breakfast, going down and get a table. We're staying at the, at this hotel at the Four Seasons in LA. And so my wife and I went down to get a table. We go. We get our table. Shane comes in. He's pale as a ghost, and he says, "You're never going to believe it. I just got on the elevator, and Paul McCartney was on the elevator." And I said, "Are you kidding me? Like if I had waited for you and come down, I would have been on the elevator with Paul McCartney." <laughs> but would you have said anything knowing you? Yeah, I would. You think so? Because I have your one shot. I have turned this this point in my life where now, if it is somebody I want to talk to, I will go for it because it's just so rare. Like you said, it could, that probably would have been the closest I'll ever get to him. There are a couple of things that I tell listeners that come up to me. They, hey, if I see someone out, I'm like, if you see an artist or someone that you admire, first of all, you can always tell them you're a fan. Like, mm-hmm. always. It doesn't right. matter who it is. Hey, I'm a huge fan. But if they're with their kids or they're eating, that's when you don't. Right. Otherwise, if you want to wait, and, right. and, they're, and they're like, ah, oh, but you can, you should always tell somebody you're a fan of them. I agree. I and, mean, I, especially if you legitimately are. You know what I mean? Like, I. There is that thing that can happen sometimes where people just want to talk to somebody famous because they're famous. But especially if you are a fan of someone, you should not miss that opportunity because they it does mean something. I got an elevator with Prince once. Oh my gosh! I didn't say anything because he had. Four we like to look at him. Yeah. Well, it, the thing was, I, he was playing like this secret bar in Austin, Texas. Of course, of, right? And and, and <laughs> nobody was supposed to know. And I'm in the elevator. I didn't know Prince was 
Right. I knew he was in town, but I didn't know he was playing this bar. And I get in, and there are these three or four humongous dudes, and there's something behind them. Hmm. It was the, that something was Prince because he's so small. Oh, they were. <laughs> and they were they had like surrounded him, and oh I walked in, and then two of them walked out, and I saw, and I didn't know it was Prince, and I saw Prince just. You just scurry like, out of the elevator, out. and I was like, wow. "Dang, I was in the elevator with Prince. That's pretty freaking cool." I probably wouldn't have said anything I was to say, Prince. Had you though. known, like, would you I, not? Something? Not with the security detail that he had, because gotcha. when you have that many big people, you don't want to be talked to. That's that's see now that's a good, that's the other thing yeah. you should tell listeners if it, they're surrounded by four large men. If it looks person. like they don't want to talk to you, exactly. they probably don't. But we're in a format though too where people people are pretty accessible. I, I agree. We, we have a lot of, that's another thing where people always ask me, and I, I imagine you get this all the time, uh, asking about country singers or whatever, what's Keith Urban like? What's Kenny Chesney like? What's Sam Hunt like? And they get sick of hearing like, oh, he's actually a good guy. Like, yeah. down to earth, nice guy, you know. Um, and people get sick of hearing that. You know, there, there's got to be one jerk among them. I'm like, I'm, you know, I've been lucky. There's not, you know. Oh, so. there's a couple, Josh. There's a couple. <laughs> I said, I've been lucky. Yeah, let me talk about uh, sleep number for one second. All right, so as we record this, it's uh, holiday time. And what could be better than giving the gift of better sleep? Maybe you've considered a sleep number bed, but you thought, man, I don't know if I can afford this. Maybe I can. But who can afford another mediocre night's sleep? Or really, if you sleep better, you work better. For me, if I sleep good, I go into the show, I'm feeling like a million bucks. I get better ratings. Boom. Next thing you know, just raking it in. It's not that easy, but man, better sleep does actually help you perform better. Nine out of ten couples also disagree on mattress firmness, so the sleep number bed lets you choose your ideal comfort, your ideal support on each side, so it's good for both of you. Five feet, nah, I would say five, uh, 12 feet away. I have a sleep number bed in my bedroom because this is upstairs in the bedroom, so I have a sleep number. My setting is 30. My sleep IQ score last night was in the 90s. Sleep number beds cost about the same as the traditional mattresses, but last twice as long. 91% of owners recommend. And right now, if you go in, uh, save 200 bucks on the Queen C4 mattress with Sleep IQ technology, $15.99.99. There you go. Plus, buy a new Cool 2.0 pillow, Cool Fit 2.0 pillow. You get the second one half off. There you go. There are lots of 800 next bed to find a sleep number store near you. All right, so let's see. What else do we have here, Josh? How about... I'm just going to close my eyes and see what I have. See, see what I hit. How about this one? Josh has so many number ones. We Setting the world on fire. Kenny and Pink. Massive song. I almost screwed up with this song because I was... Uh, obviously, I want your real story and I'm going to just yeah. tell you a terrible story before you tell me the good one. I was with Kenny and the album was... Had, it was The album was coming out mm-hmm. and uh, Kenny and I were in LA and... We were talking, and there were no microphones. And Kenny goes, hey, um, here's the thing. Pink wasn't going to get on that song. He said, we weren't, and it wasn't going to be put as out as a single either because she was, she was doing her own thing. on. Her. She didn't want, didn't want to be on the radio. Compete, but then she got pregnant. <laughs> and, so, and it wasn't announced that she was pregnant yet. And he's right. telling me all this stuff. And he didn't say, hey, don't say anything. <laughs> but luckily, I'll lock things down sure. unless I say, hey, is that... Oh, is that kind of on the record or off? Right. But Kenny just talks and he says does, all yeah. this stuff. I have so many things that Chesney's told me that I would never repeat <laughs> in a million years. But like, then like a month later, it comes out, Pink's pregnant. It's been super secret. And I was like, oh, thank God I didn't say yeah, anything. Right. Yeah, exactly. And thank God I got to be a single. Thank God she got pregnant because, exactly. I mean, that song turned massive. That was, that was a special one, yeah. Um, 
I had heard that too with Pink that once once he got her on the song, then there was this whole debate about um, well we can't put it out because she's she was going to put out a new single yeah. and um, and I think was going to go on tour or something and then I think like you said she got pregnant and it kind of shifted all the plans and uh, and then all of a sudden they said all right we can put it out that's so, crazy I mean it's crazy how things. I don't know what you believe if things happen for a reason or if you just wait it out eventually and you work hard, eventually things happen. I don't right. know what your what your whole uh, thing is there. But, I mean, that's a shifter for Kenny, too. He told me, he says, listen, that gives me 10 more years. This song mm-hmm. reaches people that are 10 years younger than some of the other songs that sure. I've done. So you wrote that one, but what what was that? Where, what's the deal with that song? Well, the whole story, it's so funny, the, the L.A. Grammy story. Um, when we were at that particular Grammys, um, Shane and I, won a Grammy for a song with Casey Musgraves, Merry Go Round. And that night afterwards, when we got back to the hotel, my wife and I went back to our hotel and they knew we had won. They put a bottle of champagne in our room. It was just this amazing like memory. We were out on the balcony of our hotel room just screaming and like it's you know, it's something as a songwriter or a creator that, you know, a Grammy is sort of this unattainable thing it's like you know yeah i'll win a grammy someday but it's all in in jest and uh that whole night just became this this like movie in my mind of being with my wife in this amazing moment and i went into this right with uh, matt jenkins and ross copperman and ross played that music basically like what what you know they they did a great cut of it it sounds exactly like what ross had laid out this sort of bed of music and he played it and the second he played it this so Ross played the track. Off. Yeah, he, he just, just played the track, the track. Yeah. with no words on it. And just for some reason, it triggered this like emotion and these memories, and it all just kind of started pouring out. And and I, and Matt said, I have this title. I don't know exactly what it means, but I thought it sounded cool. It's called Setting the World on Fire. And I was like, man, this feels like that night in my life. And so we wrote it, um, from at least from my perspective or my point of view, it felt like a very personal song. And... It wasn't necessarily one that I thought, you know, I didn't instantly think of Kenny. I, I thought because it, it just, it felt so personal to me. Um, but then Ross's publisher sent it to Kenny and, and, you know, within a couple of days of him hearing it, he told us he was going to cut it. So it was, that that one's one of my favorites I've ever been on because of it had such a personal thing for me. So that one went right to Kenny. Mm-hmm. And Kenny said yes. Yes. It was that. That fast. Yeah. That's good. Hey, what is this here of is this uh this setting the world on fire? I think it's a demo. It's a demo? Alright, here is uh setting the world on fire the demo. Mm. Is that Ross? That's me. That's you? Mm-hmm. This guy gets better at dang. <laughs> well auto tune me, yeah, and I'll sound a lot better. Oh man. <laughs> and you kiss me and we were up all night. We were feeling so good. I'll buy that. <laughs> Was written as a duet, huh? No, but it was such a great idea to put her on it. So, how did that process come about? Like, hey, was it Kenny, one of Kenny's people? Like, who goes, hey, what about a duet? And then, what about? I don't know if you tried Pink first or what the deal was, but well, I um, once he had recorded the song, I think he got the idea of putting Pink on it, and I didn't know anything about it until we were at the CMA Awards, and I was walking through backstage, like going out to my seat. Kenny was there. And I just kind of waved. He's like, hey, man. He comes out of his conversation, grabs me, like hugs me, and goes, man, I got Pink to sing on that song. And I was like, I said, what? And he goes, yeah, I got Pink to sing on it. It's going to be awesome. 
And then he just walked off. And I was like, does that mean what I think that means? And so we went out to our seats. And what you think it means, does that mean it's a single? Does it mean it's, it's well, going to be thought, awesome because it's a multi-format all of it. thing? Yeah, that really. Is it. It. Because at first I was thinking, does he really mean pink? Like, A, does he mean my song? Like, is yeah. there any confusion? B, does he really mean pink? And C, then the thing in your brain, the the, the business side does take over a little, and you think, man, it's got to be a single then, and it's got pink on it. And Why are you going to go uh, to the effort if you're not going to put it out? Right, exactly. Right. That's what you would think. Uh, but then, of course, we did start hearing the, the whispers of like, because I think even Kenny had told me that. He was like, yeah, the cut sounds amazing, and uh, I don't think we're going to be able to put it out for a while. Uh, I don't know if it'll get to be a single because she's going to put a song out, and I just don't know how it'll work out. And uh, he, I will say, as an artist, is very um, considerate of songwriters and will not string you along. He won't give you a lot of empty promises. He won't. He will err on the side of caution uh, because he's a writer, too. And um, so I think he was sort of bracing me in case, like, hey, we may not get to put it out as a single. I don't know. And then all of a sudden, he kind of got the green light on it, like you said, because she ended up uh, that she was pregnant. So Man, then it became a monster. Like, the song's still cool. And in our format, the, the problem, it's not a problem, but something that I don't like is how fast songs turn over. They do, yeah. And this wasn't happening 15 years ago. This is a right. recent thing between labels and radio. And, it's, and to me, it's a disaster because it doesn't allow longevity in any of these songs these songs sure. it's just like next next label right. trades it out label trades it out Ring number one number. Yep. and it's just like good god man how are we supposed to really love songs right if as soon as we start liking them you go it's number one boom next up right so that's been my frustration and for even for us songwriters where one of my buddies is running for uh, congress now Lee Miller oh yeah right I love and so, and so I've known Lee, Lee was one of the first guys that Songwriters that I knew in town, and we we'd write some stuff together. A funny, this funny song. Oh yeah, he's very funny. So yeah. yeah, really funny. Oh, I did a songwriter. Listen to this. Let me sidetrack for a second. <laughs> this is the worst story for me. It's a terrible yeah. story. Terrible night in my life. Lee goes, "Hey, we're doing the uh, big songwriter at, at the ten what, ten pants out there. Yeah, ten pants oh, out. Yeah. It's like where you're worshipped, like because you are right. Josh Osborne. This is where the writers <laughs> come, and that's right. It's it's the writers thing. Cause hey." says, uh, I know you write a bunch of comedy. You write, do your stand-up. We put out a, a, a comedy record. It was okay. It, it did pretty well, but it wasn't that good. We did a kid's record, which was really good. He goes, I know you do. We write songs. Yeah. Come play in a songwriter's round with me. I don't know what I'm getting into. I don't even know what Ten Pants South is. Right, this right. right. Is, at the time, I, this was like two, two and a half years ago. And I'm like, Ten Pants South, is that like the Tin Roof? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming this is at the ten room. I was like, I get in, I have a couple days on the road, and then I'm coming right in. I'm happy to go play the songwriters round with you. And so I was like, cool. And I'm thinking, me and Lee, you know, we're yeah, just going right. to get up there and play some song, have a little bag of forth, and <laughs> you know, so we go to whatever venue it was, like um, the listening room or something. Oh yeah, maybe not even listening room, but one of those places like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, we got a couple other, a couple other folks are going to play with us. I was like, oh okay, yeah, what do I care? Like I'm not any good anyway, so let's let's have more people Bring to kill time. On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Lee goes, this is uh, this is way before I started this podcast and have really gotten to know songwriters. Right. And he's like, this is my friend Chris, and this is my friend Ashley, and I'm like, Chris Stefano, Ashley Gorley, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so we get up there and there's all four, and those two dudes have written tons of hits. Oh yeah. And Chris Stefano sings like a freaking angel. Yes, Chris has an amazing voice. He he writes Carrie songs and can sing Carrie songs in the same key. Yes, yes, yeah, just yeah. like Carrie. 
And so it's Lee, who's funnier and better than I, all around. But everything, right. like my strength is funny, and he's funnier than I am, and he's better at music than I play, than Chris Stefano, than Ashley Gortley. It was the slowest two and a half, three hours that I've ever experienced. <laughs> and that was my, my songwriting round. But Lee, my point was, he's running for Congress yeah, now, right? That's right. Because he's a big guy, like, hey, songwriters are not getting paid. Right. And here's the problem the, the internet's still the Wild West. Sure. It's, we're having songs that are getting millions of streams and we're making eight bucks. And right. what's going to happen is it's going to kill the songwriters because people are going to go, I can't make money. And the upper tier is going to be fine. The upper tier is sure. still going to continue to make their money. He said, but it's, it's discouraging to new songwriters, mm-hmm. to people. He said, so, and he, as you know, he have been up on Capitol, Capitol Hill so many times talking. And, and he's like, fine, screw it. I'm just going to run myself. And I'm like, that's a baller move from somebody who really wants to make a change. Right. So he's running. And I start to think about radio and digital. And for me, the radio is just, it's the phone. But you know what happens? The weird thing is, if something doesn't change, and I mentioned, I think that radio being the monster has about five years in it, really. But if something doesn't change with songwriters, Mm -hmm. and radio loses 3% a year to digital. And I hope it does, because I'm already set up. I've already built my house over on the digital world. Sure. That... It's, it's going to hurt you guys even worse yeah. because then radio is going to be gone. And if you don't have some kind of plan in for streaming, right. radio is going to be less. And then streaming is still going to be kicking you in the balls. That's right. And it's going to be like, what are you going to make even less? Right. Well, we're, ha- we're having to hang our careers and our, our hats on radio right now. You know? and, and if radio goes away, that's why you're hanging your hat. Right. So, Lee, you got to make a change. You got to exactly. make it happen, on, man. Lee. I tweeted out. On a side vote, vote Lee Miller. Yeah, right. If, <laughs> oh, but only if you live in like Brentwood. Because it's yeah, only exactly. like a district. Yes. I, I tweeted out last night. I was like, hey, listen. Because I'm independent. The guy, for, I have friends that are Republicans, sure. friends that are Democrats. I grew up in Arkansas, which is heavily red. Right. I have liberal views. Like I'm pro-gay marriage. Pro, all, I'm just, I have so many things that I just feel like I can't attach myself to a party. Sure. And when I was going to run for governor of Arkansas, I was going to run independent because I had enough backers to go. Um, I have, it's all about money. Right. And I was like, I put it up there because you can look up and see who's thing you donated to you, oh you, yeah that's right so, so i was like just so everybody knows i'm donating to republican <laughs> lee miller do i agree with everything he stands for because i just know people are are they're gonna right. they're gonna find everything and be like oh he's a secret republican right 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 You're donating to a republican exactly but i like what he's doing for songwriters and i wonder your Absolutely. thoughts on what on him running for office i mean is that because that's really his thing like he wants songwriters to get paid he is the if there were one songwriter that could do it it's him he uh, i'm actually on the nsai board and um, and working with him, he is so knowledgeable and so smart and and so passionate. And those are the three things that we need because I've done a couple of the trips to Washington where where you go in and talk to people. And I think, look, it's a big world and there's a lot of scary and bad stuff going on. And in the scope of things, it doesn't seem like that problem compared to you know what other things we're dealing with in the world. But when you sit down with people and go from an analogy standpoint songwriters are almost the farmers of the music industry and the, our songs if we don't make the money from streaming like you said if radio goes away there there are a group of writers who have had success right now but but the group of writers that are now moving to Nashville and you know Nashville notoriously is a 10-year town like five or ten year town if you're if you're a new writer and you move here tomorrow 10 years from now what's the music business even look like so what have you what have you put your life on hold for you know, like you, you come here and you, you don't go to college and you, you don't, don't necessarily get a career, you get a job so you can try to chase your career. And if you do all those things and then at the end, at the end of the day, 
you write a song like Body Like a Back Row that gets streamed 500 million times or whatever, and your profit from that is $8,000. You know, what What was it all for? You know, you to do it, yes, you do it for the art, but you have to hope that there's a light at the end of that tunnel. And if, and if you take it away and the streaming thing's not fixed, there is no light at the end of that tunnel. And that's what's scariest to me as someone who writes, not music. Yes. God, I do music, but I just do it. I'm, I'm terrible. But as someone who writes, generally books and comedy right. and songs, like I see it for you guys where it's like if radio loses 1.5% a year, right. 2% a year, for the next seven years, that's a big number. Exactly. And I'm fine because I can do whatever I do anywhere. Sure. On demand, stream me. I, people are paying me to do commercials, just like I talked right. about Sleep Number a minute ago. Like, right, right, right. Two million subscribers to this thing. And Sleep Number is going to pay me because people listen to it. But for songwriters, it sucks because you're in that place of what happens if radio loses 1.5% and streaming still doesn't pay us. Right. And that's a weird place to be. And it's not scary. for you, but if you're, you're looking at but that's what you don't go talk to DC for you. You're good. Right. You're talking to DC for the people that are haven't had the success that you've had yet. Sure. Well, and I think there's a thing too that that if streaming could get regulated a little bit, I think one of the um, heydays of, of country music, I think admittedly everyone would say, was you know sort of the 90s was kind of the heyday. You know, Garth was at his peak and Shania, and there was all these huge artists, and everybody was selling records, and even like a mid-level artist was selling three or four million albums, and it was million. Reaching, That's crazy. Think about that. And they were reaching all these people. And I think one of the byproducts that you don't necessarily look at until you're sort of peeling the layers back and looking at it is, I think sometimes even it hurts the craft a little bit because you can't go into a room and your focus can't be, I want to write the closing track on the album. I want to write this great piece of art. You, in the back of your mind, from a, I want to sustain my career point of view, you have to be thinking... I have to write a song that can be played on the radio. You have to write a single. You do. You have yeah. to think, we have to write a single. And I think that's a byproduct of, there's just, you know, there were so many guys, songwriters in the 90s that made careers out of having album cuts. There were guys that made more money off of having songs on Garth albums than having singles. And and, and I'm not saying it will, I'm not, you know, foolish. It's never going to get back to that. But there is a way to make it, to level the playing field a little bit. And I think if we can... People like Lee and and honestly, people like you having a voice on the radio and at least speaking about it, it's it's getting it to where people are understanding that it is actually an issue. Most people just don't know. And you tell them, well, this song was streamed 150 million times, and 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 on my last ASCAP statement, I made a thousand dollars for it. It blows people's mind. They don't understand it. And and I think it's just right now we have a lack of knowledge. And I think you have a lot of really old people, which is mm-hmm. always the case whenever it comes to lawmakers. Right. You have a bunch of really old white people. Yeah. And I mean, they don't understand. But it's always been this cycle. It's mm-hmm. not like this is new. Right. But we can't expect a 68-year-old white guy from Pennsylvania to understand what Spotify or Apple Music or iHeartRadio right. or Tidal is. Like We just can't because no, it's right. not in their life. So it takes – and not just for music, just in general with laws and – right. Like I think there should be a law about texting and walking. Now, does that sound ridiculous? Yes. But if we're going to have seatbelt laws and bike helmet laws, mm-hmm. and you're going to walk down the road texting, you're going to get hit by a car. Right. You're going to get hit. You're going to walk into traffic. But who's going to think about that unless you're 28 to 38 years old? Right. But that's why I think 14-year-olds should run for office. <laughs> We should have one. Just one? One super kid in every state See, now what goes, you're doing now, what you're doing now is you're writing a great movie right now. This is going to be a movie where it's like a kid 
There's a mix-up. There's the name of a famous senator. He's got, he means to run for student council, but he, yeah, accidentally, right, for but he governor. accidentally puts his name in, and he's got the same name <laughs> as a famous guy that's running for governor, and somehow he gets elected. And because there's some law in that state, they can't revoke it. So he, we have a 14-year-old governor, and within two years, that state's the best state in the country. And so then... You're, it writes itself at that point. You've just written it. It we didn't write itself. You just wrote it. We have a start here. I know that's kind of a ridiculous thing to say. But I, I worry about songwriters in that way, but I, it will all shake itself out. I, I, I do. I will say I feel optimistic for the first time um, because there are – songwriters are being heard. Now, the issue right now, and I think everybody would acknowledge this, in our country right now, there's just a cacophony of noise. It's this is a problem. This is a problem. Right. This is a problem. So I think it's just finding enough, staying in people's ear. And I can't say enough about the good that like NSAI does for songwriters. And, and, and it has produced someone like Lee who has so much knowledge. And I think the inner workings of working with Bart Herbison and people like that that are involved at, um, at NSAI, it's, it's just those kinds of things I think are, are at least giving me optimistic feelings for the future. Let me hit another song here. Let's push a button, and how about this song right here? We've hit another Sam Hunt song. Make you miss me. So you're in the Sam Hunt camp, huh? Sure. Mm -hmm. This is a town of camps. Well, and I've known Sam for... I've been writing songs with him for about eight years now. So you were in the Sam Hunt camp when he was just Sam. You just write Mm -hmm. with Sam. Sam and I wrote our first number one together. Which was? Come over. Ah. I told you I wouldn't call. I told you I wouldn't care. But baby, climbing the walls. Now wait, is this you singing? That's Sam. Okay, I was going to say Sam, but I already missed once on this. (laughs) So this is Sam singing Come Over demo? That's it, yeah. Getting any colder. Come over, come over, come over. That is such a good song. Like Of all the Kenny songs, that one... And you had tequila, but that come over. Oh, that's a, that's a jam. And I'm not a huge Kenny. Like I don't listen to Kenny a lot by myself. Sure. But when it comes to songs of Kenny's that I will listen to by myself, this is one of them. Like you guys did a good job. You Thank don't you. need me to say this, but you guys did a good job on this one. This is a good one, man. Well, I appreciate it. So was that ever a thought of when did, did Sam want to keep come over? Well, so again, that was early on, and. Um, when we wrote this song with Sam, he had a different producer. This was before, I don't even think Sam had met Zach Crowell yet. And he was working with a, a different producer, and they were trying to make Sam more country. Because, you know, at the, at the root of all of it, Sam's a Georgia boy, and he's got a country voice. Um, and he writes about country things. And so his producer was trying to make him more, uh, not necessarily traditional country, but just more country. And we wrote this song, and it was Shane McAnally, Sam, and I. And... Um, we were all excited about it and we went in and cut a demo on it and the producer was like, you know, I really like the song. I just don't think it fits Sam. And, and I was kind of devastated. I was like, man, cause I loved Sam's voice. And I thought, man, this feels like the turning point. This feels like we just found something because we'd written a couple songs with him and then we wrote this and it felt like we had sort of cracked open something and gone, here's the sound here. And, um, at the time Sam was managed by Clint Hyam who manages Kenny and Clint really loved the song too. And and he was he was really excited about that particular song, and I think he sent it to Kenny, not pitching it to Kenny, but he sent it to him and said, "Hey, this is this new kid Sam I'm working with. Just check out where he's going. I think he's starting to tap into something." And Kenny heard the song and said, "I love this song. Could I could I have this song?" And do you have to think about it? Uh, I mean, I didn't, but uh, I remember Sam calling me and he said, "What what should we do? I mean, obviously this is a song that 
you know, means a lot to me too. And I said, uh, do what, do what's best for you. And I'll be okay either way. If you need the song, if you feel like you need the song more than you need this cut, because you know, his aspiration was to be an artist. I said, then I'm totally fine with that. And if you are okay with letting Kenny go, letting Kenny have it, cause it'd be great exposure for you. I'm great with that too. I, I will support you either way you want to go. Because at this point we were, we're friends. Like we had a relationship and it was more, you know, when you have a friend, you're kind of like, I want to do what's best for you. I want you to get out of this, what you need out of it. And, um, and he was just really open and said, you know, I love Kenny Chesney and it would be amazing to hear him on a song of mine. And, and again, at that point, I think Shane had had one number one at that point and, and Sam and I hadn't had anything. And so Sam was like, let's, if he wants it, let's let him have it. Look at that. There's the demo again. I told you I wouldn't You can even, in the Kenny version, hear Sam, though. Once you know mm-hmm. Sam, you can still hear Sam and a little bit of the the verse, the phrasing. The phrasing, for sure. Yeah. That's what I was saying, too, from feeling like we found something, was that phrasing, that sound. Sam kind of came in with that thing. He was like, I, I want the verse to do this thing. And, um, and you know what's funny with that song, the hook of it, the come over, come over, come over, was an accident. We had written this song all day, and we thought it just needs a simple title. And so originally the hook just went, getting any colder, come over. Like that was all we were doing. So when we're laying down the work tape at the end of the day, just so we remember the song, as we're playing the outro, Sam goes, come over, come over, come over, come over, come over. And I like stopped playing the guitar, and Shane and I looked at each other, and we're like, what was that? And he goes, Oh, it was just an outro thing I was thinking about doing. I won't do it if you think it's distracting. And Shane said, no, I think that's the hook. I think you do that every time. Every time it comes around the end of the course, you say it like five times like that. And so that really became the whole hook of that song. And it was sort of a, a happy little accident that fell out. Oh, a happy little accident. <laughs> oh, I love those. You know, here's this one. Blake Shelton, Sangria. Which, by the way... The Raging Idiots that we're doing in our parody stage. We yes. did Tortilla. Huge hit. <laughs> monster hit for us. We stole your song and made a monster oh, hit. I love it. We didn't make any money off of it. Don't worry. <laughs> Wait, I still play that thing sometimes. Cause, hold on. It's like uh, E minor, C, G. Is that what it is? Yes. Dun, 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 dun. D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I'll play that. I'll, sometimes I'll pop out the old Tortilla, tortilla cover. Tortilla sneak back in. Yeah, I like that. sometimes if I'm, I'll just stand up and I... <laughs> If I'm like bombing, like and people don't, they're not feeling me, so I'm like, I'll be like, all right, let me play Tortilla. Sometimes, man, you got to play the hits. How do you feel about that? How do you feel like getting parodied? Oh, I mean, I think it's awesome. But to have a song that's like big enough for people to care enough to parody it, I think it's awesome. Come on, when you heard it the first time, like, this is stupid? Or were you no, like, this is no, no, cool? I, honestly, I'm being very serious. I think it's great that it's like, if the song is big enough or people like it enough to do a parody of it, I mean, why not, man? Mm, that's what I like to hear. Why not? <laughs> Here's Josh singing Sangria. I like this version better, to be honest oh. with you. I do. Ah, so sexy. Yeah. You know that song you wrote? I felt like kind of got robbed. Just because I listen. If anyone has fights the radio, it's me. Okay. Like I fight with myself, not myself. I fight with my own. Okay. That way, when I have opinions, people know. If I'm like, sure. this is awesome, they know that I've also said stuff sucks too. Right. 
What song I felt kind of got a raw deal that you wrote was this one right here. Miranda Vice. As far as... What a great song. People didn't know what to do with it. it right. They just... It was so odd, but it was awesome. But they were... Sure. Radio program directors, a lot of them are scared because they're like, oh, if I, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to get away from it and go back to what's familiar and comfortable. Sure. And I felt like the song was so good, but it was a little uncomfortable. Right. Well, Listen, it's 20 Sam, seconds of acapella at the beginning. The Sam stuff was uncomfortable. It took That sure. Sam stuff took forever. But Absolutely. I felt like that Vice, I felt like Vice really took in the butt. It, 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 that song should have really. Uh, I appreciate you saying that. I, I'm very proud of it. And she, um, she is an amazing songwriter. Like, I don't know. If Who, you wrote that with her? And Shane. And Madden Shane. Elia. And it was the first time either of us had written with her. Like, Shane, <clears throat> excuse me, Shane had had a song with her, Mama's Broken Heart. But I'd, I'd never, um, I never had a cut with her or anything. But she came in to write with us one day, and it was actually around when all the stuff was coming out about her and Blake getting divorced. And so we, well, first, was that, is that kind of like you got to kind of yeah because we didn't know she would show up you know, yeah because we were it was all kind of hitting the fan so to speak and and um, she's a pro she just showed up and and she was like hey I, I'm here to write I mean we got to get this stuff out we we got to write and um, she um, that song in particular I was so proud of it because we you know Shane and I again or we don't know her that well she's going through this sort of traumatic thing in her life we're trying to with kid gloves be like. Would you say that? Or, I mean, were you, are you okay with saying that? And she would say, "I would absolutely say that. Let's do it." Like, because we're we're trying not to push her um, into saying something she's uncomfortable with, or, or pushing her too far. And she was she was game for all of it. What song of yours do you feel like you chase now? You're like, man, that was my song. Like, it doesn't have to even be a huge hit. You're yeah. like, I wrote this. That that's, and you're like, man, if I could just get that again. Like, that was the bottle song. One of those for me is. Uh, John Cougar, John Deere, John 316. And when that one, you wrote that one, was it like, <laughs> this is it? Like, you felt it? I did, yeah. Yeah? What about it? The lyric, it's not a linear lyric. And one of the things I love about other genres, country music, traditional country music, my favorite music, but one of the things I love about other genres is they don't feel this... Um, they don't feel compelled to write everything in a straight line like we do in country. And that's what I love about this song. There are just scattershot images and these things that are just Marilyn Monroe in the Garden of Eden. Like, I don't know what that means, but at the same time, I know exactly what that means. It almost felt to me like the first time I heard it, again, just a fan's interpretation of yeah. it, when I was hearing and you mentioned those two things. There are a couple of songs. Uh, like, We Didn't Start the Fire. Uh-huh. Yes. You know? It just it's just a lot of stuff. Right. And it doesn't make sense separately, but when you put it together, you're like, Oh, this all kinda makes sense right. once you put it all For together. For some reason. Into right. the world as we know it, R E M. Yes. Same kind of feeling. Yes. Da, 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 da. And you're like, what, what's all this? Yeah. yeah. What's all this <laughs> happening? And you're like, oh, okay, once you put it all together, it's like right. it does kind of a cap it's the end of the world as we right. know it. And you're like, Yeah. Oh, I did feel that way about this song too. It's funny you say that. I would have never said linear because I'm not smart like you when it comes to songwriting. <laughs> but I I, I did <laughs> And that's that's interesting that you felt like it was written in a slightly different formula. Well, and and, and even and, and it's very slight the difference in it. But like so much in country music, we feel like we have to write to the hook of the song, the lyrical hook of the song. And I think on that song in particular, we kind of wrote about the hook, as opposed to feeling like every line has to feed into it, every line has to explain it. We just sort of thought that line says it all. It's like growing up reading the Bible, growing up on John Cougar music, growing up on a farm. I mean, that's what that song is all about, is growing up in a small town. 
And once you have that line, you can kind of put anything around it. What is it that you do to stay? I, I work, I play country music for five hours a day. I have sure. my favorite, like they just released the, what you've listened to most list like yeah. on your computer. And it was, um, obviously Lindsay and I are close friends, Lindsay L and I, and, yeah. and, and I was so close to that album. So that was my number one listen to artist. Sure. Uh, but Stapleton, it was Ed Sheeran. It was John Mayer. That was, those were like the, I'm forgetting somebody else too, but those are the top yeah. people that I listened to this year. What do you listen to outside of country? Because again, I play it all day long. Right. So sometimes I just turn on talk and podcasts and, and I have to I, get away from it. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. Like in the car, I um, I don't listen to music a lot because I've worked all day. Like if I That's how I feel about the, being right, there in the morning. Exactly. Yeah. Same way. Because you go in for five hours and play songs. I go in for, for five or six hours and write on a song. And, and typically by the end of it. And I know, look, I'm not trying to say this is a hard job. It's not. It's just a different kind of job. It's it's more mentally exhausting. Like you're thinking the whole day, this has to connect with this, and this. It's like putting. It's like if every day you went to your job and your job was to put a puzzle together, and and at the end of that day, when you're done with the puzzle, you'd be like, I just want to go home and eat some pizza or something and watch TV. And so a lot of times in the car, even I um I listen to podcasts or I listen to books a lot, like audio books and things. Do you feel like that's cheating? Because I listen to audio books too, <laughs> and then when someone's like, Hey, what have you read? I was like, oh, I read that, you know. Well, I will, I will tell you this about myself. If this gives you a window into it, I never tell anybody I listen to a book. I'll say, oh, I read that, you know. So, so you don't feel like it's cheating or you do and you just. I do and I lie. I think. And you lie. I think I do feel like it's cheating but and is lying, it, But is it, though, because you're still consuming the same information. I mean, I'm with you. Like, if I, you Seinfeld fan? I know you're friends. Yeah. Are you Seinfeld fan? Yeah, yeah. Remember the whole thing with Costanza where he said, I can't read a book because it's in my own voice? Yes. But if somebody, if I get a book on tape, it's in someone else's voice. I think I have that thought. I hear enough nonsense in my own voice. You know, I, If I can hear someone else explain the same information to me, all the better. So I listen to the podcast. Let me see which one. The one I really like is, I don't know what you listen to, but um, I like the one that NPR does. It's called How I Built This. Do you ever listen oh, to that? Oh, I love How I Built This. Man, I listen to the one on 5-Hour Energy. About the guy who 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 invented five hour energy and right. I did that one. I did Alvin and the Chipmunks, where they <laughs> talked about how that happened. And it was turn like I love, but it's probably why I love doing this. Like when sure. I started this podcast, it wasn't to reach some mass amount of audience. Like this, it was an accident. Right. The fact is, this thing is blown up is a complete accident. Happy little accident. It's a happy little accident. And so, but I was just passionate about it. I was like, man, I love that second. I love songwriters. I love producers. Right. I don't think people know about this. Right. And the people that want to know are going to be super served. And then everybody else is not going to pay any attention to it. Right. But I was surprised. And I was surprised when they were. Like, I genuinely was. Right. And so, the podcast like that, like that, how I built this, the Nerdist, I listen to that sometimes. I've listened to that a couple times. I listen to, um, a lot of times on trips, I love the podcasts that are like serial was like that. that it's so you like the episodal ones? I do, but I also loved like, um, and I haven't listened to it in a long time, so I say loved, but I, I used to listen to um, Here's the Thing a lot with Alec Baldwin yeah. because he would interview just interesting people. Like, uh, it wouldn't all be actors. It would be people from different walks of, of different successes and things. He would interview musicians. He would interview actors or whatever, but uh, it was very similar to this. I mean, it was just kind of a peek behind the curtain. Yeah, I, I also feel like podcasts are like reading a book, like I'm learning, mm. so I don't feel like I'm wasting my time. No, I, I agree. What kind of music do you listen to that isn't country? I listen to a little bit of everything. I listen to a lot of Lightning 100. Um, me too, yeah. Because me. it's it's just... Um, it's country music without country. I mean, it, it is. It's just real. It's that thing That's again. That tri- it's a AAA format. 
or whatever you want to call a format. And I'll get started on formats and I'll drive you crazy because I have this whole theory. The formats are stupid. And the phone is a limiting format. It's a whole thing, right? I could do a book on it. Uh, but yes, I also enjoy Lightning 100 because that's just music. It is, yeah. And it's, um, and it's a great way to discover stuff. Like there's a band called Lord Huron that I've recently got into and I discovered them on Lightning 100. Um, um, the National. Sorry, I can't remember the name of that. I discovered those those guys through Lightning 100. It's just a lot of music that's like not what I hear every day. And it's music that bleeds over into my music. I think it's stuff that um, gets me excited creatively. Or, 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 or I love so much a turn of phrase. Um, like there's a line in... I love everything. I love so much music because I can find something in all of it. And um, this, also because you were born in Napster age, where we we're, we're, it was okay true. to love different kinds of yes. music. Well, you could access everything. You're right. I mean, back in those days, this was like you said, you and I are the same age. We were just our our height of consuming music, like when we're just dying for it, like when you were. This massive Creed fan, and I imagine had your well, hair no, grown out. No, I was never out. a massive, you know, you Creed, were a massive fan. Creed fan. Okay, I was for, for a minute. <clears throat> we established yeah, okay, this. Okay, but, okay, we just have um, that. Go ahead. <laughs> but um, we were we were just <laughs> prior to the the iPod thing, and so I used to have all these burnt CDs at my house, and it would be fifteen songs that wouldn't be the same artist twice, you know, and um, it would be Oasis and Blur and. Um, and it probably was a Creed song. I mean, I obviously wasn't. I'm not going to challenge your fanhood on that, but I, I, there was definitely a Creed song on there. Like, you know, so it would be a little mix of everything. And because of that, I think we come from that generation where all music was just music. It was just music. Yeah. And so, again, I, my, I, I tweet and I get in trouble for tweets. <laughs> I, last night I was tweeting because I was looking at it, and it said I'd listened to 26 different genres. Wow. First of all, I didn't know that that many genres. I didn't either. And even with radio... John, the country genre is now because people will go, you know, play more traditional country, right, right. And I get that, and it's always been like that. And that's the thing. First, that people like us have to realize is that this play traditional country. This isn't people now going, hey, the music you're doing now is too progressive. It's always happened. Like I sat with Garth, yes, and he was like, he's like, man, people did this to me. They were like, you're not real country. I, I, yeah, I'm so glad he knows that because that's the that's right. He's like, I came to town and people were like, what is this guy? This is not real right. country. So this is a – and I've told the story before when my grandma, she went – I'm from Arkansas. Yeah. When you're from Arkansas, you love Arkansas things because we don't have a lot. Sure. And so it's Glenn Campbell and Brooks Robinson, third baseman for the Orioles and Johnny Cash. And so right. she went to a Johnny Cash concert and they were protesting outside because they were like, this is rock and roll. This is not country. Wow. The guy that we see as – the quintessential yes. country artist. Yeah, he's on the Mount Rushmore of country artists. Was yeah. told you aren't country. Wow. So this is the thing that happens all the time. But my point last night with my tweets that got so many people pissed off at me was that it's country music is not the walls are, are shifting a bit to more of we're kind of feeding a life group instead mm-hmm. of a country group. Sure. Because there's no country group. It used to be the music in the southeast in California like that's where people really consumed country right. music. And it didn't go really into the big cities. It wasn't an urban right. population thing. But now when the digital age comes, we're all affected by this music we're hearing all the time. Right. Even subconsciously. Right. We don't even have an idea. But we just – this is what we know music as. Sure. And I think when people go, hey, look at Sam. And I've oh, – it's easy to say it now because he's a monster. But I've always been a huge Sam proponent because sure. he's what country music is right now. But country music is a life group more than a format. Right. I, I agree. You're preaching to the choir. I think you're exactly right. I get asked that question a lot about Sam because I um, have a relationship with him and people will say, does it bother you when people say Sam Hunt's not country? And I'm so glad the Garth thing because 
one of the funniest things to me a couple of years ago when Garth did the live TV show um, for in Vegas. Yes, yeah. in Vegas. And the Facebook feed or Twitter, everything, and it was all people saying, "Man, I miss the old days when country was country." And I just remember thinking when I first moved to town, even in the late '90s, it was still, you know, oh, Garth Brooks is ruining country music, and you know, so it's like you're right, time shifts everything, and everything changes, but nothing changes. Everything changes and nothing changes. That's exactly right. So. When people go, with Sam Hunt's not country. I'm like, Sam Hunt is exactly what the country music life group is. Because look at his freaking show. Right. Like if you, yeah. Look, look at the people. Exactly. And they love it. And they're there to have a good time. And it's like, I, I love the thing, as you said, it's, a, it's more of a life group than a country group. It's more it's, of a life group than a bunch of farmers. It is. It's like, it's, it's people that just, hey, I like this guy's music. And that is a byproduct of the digital age. And I think it's, again... We're trying to figure out how digital streaming pays, but I think we're also still figuring out how digital streaming affects the country. I mean, the whole, I mean, the country as a country, um, because we all have access to the same music. You can be listening on a Spotify playlist and have Ed Sheeran, and the next song could be Body Like a Back Road. And it's like all of a sudden you're introduced to that, and then people do like it. So I, it's just an interesting time. And I, I, I'm with you on the genre thing. I don't know. We country music sometimes feels like we are such a rigid genre. I think we are one of the only ones that will chastise someone for, well, he's not country, but he wants to be in this format. Like he's he's good for this format. Why do we feel the need to push him out or you know or whatever? I don't think anybody's saying well, Taylor Swift's not pop or Taylor Swift's not top forty radio. Like we're not going to play her, and I don't know why we. I, I mean, I guess fundamentally, people feel like we have to protect the past, we have to protect the history. And I'm all for that. But at the same time, don't, for lack of a better term, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Don't don't take these people that are bringing fans to country, quote unquote, country music. Don't push them out the door and go, well, we don't want you here. You know? Well, you're going to kill the format. Exactly. And it's not just music that this happens in. But if you don't stop, if you stop the growing, eventually it will die. Yeah, that's right. And again, I came here because I was just arrogant enough to think, okay, I can come and actually change some things and some ideas sure. and it was brutal for about all time even today <laughs> it's always brutal <laughs> but I'm happy to take that on but yeah 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 I'm, enough listen you and I could just sit here and talk about the theory and <laughs> philosophy of music. pontificate oh my night. goodness because I am I will go non-stop I get <laughs> I get into so many fights with people I think I'm the perfect person for this job because I have an absolute respect and history for classic country right like my, so I was with my grandma. She adopted me for a while. My mom a little bit. I got moved around a bit. And so – but it was – you know, I, I was from Arkansas, so Arkansas things matter first. Because right. you – just like you're from Kentucky, I'm Absolutely. sure you're a freaking Wildcat fan gag. Absolutely. Right. Cause the, I noticed your Razorback shirt. That's, oh, that's all right. That's right. Not on purpose. It's just 90% of my clothes. <laughs> just law of averages. Pull up shirt. And so, you know, you're from Arkansas. You love that first. But then it's – you know, with her it was records because she was mm-hmm. old. It was the Hank Seniors. It was even Hank Jr. in his early days. Right. It was, but I grew up listening to all of this, right. and so I have so much respect for it. Yet I still have so much like, look at what's happening. That like I'm at least the right age, sure, to be the person to preach. Yeah, not everybody feels that way, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've heard, but I can but be I polarizing. Think, I'm a no, polarizing I've, figure. I've seen the Twitter stuff. Uh, I've seen this problem. <laughs> I want to talk about music. How about... Oh, let's just hit a button here. What about this one? All the pretty girls recent, recent number one yeah, for you. Most recent, yeah. Nicole's on this one, huh? She is, that's right. Tommy Lee James. Talking to the mirror and they're under. 
That's somebody else who's kind of crushing it right now is Nicole. She's doing fantastic. Yeah. Like, she's an amazing writer. And she tries to play Dally, and she's like, ah, you know, I just write a little bit in my spare time. Oh, I know. Yeah, exactly. Well, I will say, she does write in her spare time from making Instagram posts. So I think <laughs> The greatest Instagram story maker I've ever seen. You know how we get inspired by, like I get inspired by comedians, you yes. get inspired by, like when I when it's Instagram story time, and I watch Nicole. You want to get fired up, yeah. Yeah. Her, Nicole got, <laughs> she makes, she has this been all the time. Yeah. You know, we're all making those Instagram stories. And they're amazing. I and mean, her kids are famous to me. Yes. Like I'll, her and Shane's kids both are famous to me. Yes. I and sat with Shane on a flight, well, one row behind him, and uh, he was in first class and I wasn't. <laughs> so I was in the, I was in like, Almost first class, yes. you know that one right behind the, yes. the barrier. And Shane's kids had first class seats. <laughs> this sounds about right. And I, I was mean, like, "Come on, yeah, exactly." The kids, yeah, swap that kid. They don't need the leg room. They can both sit in the same seat. Yeah, Let exactly. me have one of those right one there. Seat. Yeah, exactly. yeah. But on Instagram, Nicole and Shane's kids are famous to me. Absolutely, that's weird. How social media makes me feel like people are famous because I, I follow people. Do you follow people you don't even know them, and you feel like you know them a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not. I don't Instagram and stuff to the degree of like Shane. It's a, my whole purpose of my Instagram is just trying to be funny. Like I just try to post like funny pictures. One of my favorite things to do, if you ever go check it out, you mentioned Ashley Gorley earlier. I love Ashley Gorley. He's from Kentucky. He has no presence on social media. Like he's not on Facebook. He's not on Instagram. So I started doing this thing and I don't know why it started, but I would take the app where you can blow things up. So there would be a big picture of a group of riders like a CMA triple play. And for some reason, I decided to blow Ashley's head up in the picture, like really big, like a balloon. And so now every time Ashley has a number one or something, I'll post some picture. Man, congrats. <laughs> and, I'll just, and I'll never acknowledge it. I just blow his head up really big in the picture. And his wife, at one point, I forgot to do it for a couple of songs. And his wife texted me and said, you haven't gone soft on Ashley, have you? We've been waiting for another picture. That's funny. So that's basically my extent of Instagram is that. I'm just trying to make myself laugh. But... Like, Here's this one. This is up for a, a, a Grammy or two. People say I got a drink. Look at this. This is one of my favorites. People saying that I've hit Think it'll win? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm hoping either that or body like a background. I think, but listen, I know. Because I think I presented Song of the Year at uh, the CMAs. CMAs. I did yeah. it, and Taylor won for Better Man. I think Sam should. I think you guys should have won the. That song is the biggest song we've had in yeah. years, and it's a small only a small group. I'm going to give you an example. Are you a big sports guy? Oh, yes. Okay, Peyton Manning got screwed out of the Heisman. Yes. Okay. Now I'm not a Tennessee. I'm not a Volunteer fan. Right. But there was a certain group of people that did, that put Peyton Manning so low on their list. Right. They didn't even put him second or third. Right. That he ended up not winning the Heisman and finishing second. Right. To Charles Woodson, right? To Charles yeah. Woodson, right? Who you know, kick returned was a defensive back, right. also played a little wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Woodson, phenomenal. Peyton Manning should have won the Heisman. Absolutely. And everyone says, that. and he had more first place votes than than Woodson did, I believe. Right. But some people kept him off the ballot. Period. Right. I like think body rush. like a back road. Is had that happen where there are just there are just a few haters that hate so much sure. they won't even put it up there in the top few just to be like I do and it, and that's what's kept it from winning awards and it pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is part of the, you know, it's just part of the business. It happens like that. I mean, it's the biggest song in the past five years, ever seven years, <laughs> ten years. I mean, it used to be Cruise, but it's bigger than Cruise now. 
So, and I say bigger, it hasn't had time to outsell it yet. Right. But it has. Been, it was number one on Billboard longer than Cruise was. Yeah. It broke the record. It did, yeah. I'm so pissed off about your song. You should be mad. And now you you should be the Oh, oh man. I can't. I can't. You know what I mean? You kind of you just, uh, it's, uh, it just kind of is what it There's is. There's a small group of haters. Because they, they hate on me, too. And I just want to punch them all right in the face. But I'm a big wuss, and I would That's never right. you do can't that. Punch, well, you can't punch down. You got to just you gotta no, keep punch walking. That's not punching down. I just keep... The, <laughs> Oh, well, good luck with the Midlands. Those guys are nuts. Those They're Midland awesome. Guys. And that's that's one of my favorite songs, too, because it has that, like I said, you're talking about loving everything Arkansas. I grew up in Kentucky, and we had one radio station near Virgie. It was WZLK, and every morning they would play old traditional country music. And they played Gary Stewart, who's from Kentucky, every morning. An empty glass, they would play that at 7.30 in the morning. I'd be getting ready for school. They would play that, and Keith Whitley, and... Like, I didn't even know Keith Whitley had passed away when I was a kid. I thought he was still a star because he played him on the radio all the time. So Drinking Problem is is those songs for me. Like, it's that kind of, the heart of that, uh, kind of snuck into that song. Mm-hmm. So many. I'm just going to push a couple buttons real quick. Yeah, I mean, good God, man. Why don't you write some more songs that are hits? <laughs> How many houses you got? <laughs> uh, just just one. Come on. You got you to gotta have more than that. Let's see here. How about this? Is interesting. I know uh, the Billy Carrington we are tonight. It's a Friday night. It's a small town girl. It's interesting because you wrote, you and Sam wrote this together, right? And Mark Beeson, yeah. I remember, and I don't think if it was on the air or off, but Sam being like, we thought about that song for me, and if that mm-hmm. was the direction I wanted to go. Yep, that's exactly right. And, well, it was, again, that was pre Zach producing Sam. And uh, Shane cut the original demo of We Are Tonight. It wasn't even a demo. It was just uh, he did the original cut on Sam. And um, I think it was in a batch of songs with uh, Make You Miss Me and We Are Tonight. And um, there was another one. I don't think it ended up making the record either. It was just kind of the early start of stuff. And it was one that Sam just never was quite sure it fit him, like on a record sense. He does it live still. He does it in his shows and stuff. But he didn't feel like it fit that record. And... um, uh, I think Dan, I'm trying to remember, I think Mark Beeson had played it for Dan Huff because Mark and Dan are really close. And Mark said, uh, we could really use this for Billy because it's tempo and, and, you know, Billy has such a great voice. I don't think he gets pitched a ton of great tempo stuff because people are always wanting to hear him croon on something. And Dan was like, man, if you, if you guys would let us have it, if you, I think we'd cut it on Billy. And again, it was very similar to the Kenny thing. A little different at that point because Sam had had some success as a writer and he had a, I, Remember, I think he had a, the record deal already at that point, um, but he felt like that song just wasn't right for for Montevallo, so he um, he let it go. And, and Billy, I mean, they just cut the crap out of it. That's such an amazing cut. Here's Sam doing "We Are Tonight." It's a Friday night. It's a small town girl. Everything is. It still sounds like a Sam Hunt song. That's what's crazy yeah. about that. It does sound like a Sam Hunt song. Whenever yeah, whenever you do true. that, I mean, probably because it's Sam Hunt singing it. But it's a Friday night. It's a small town girl. Everything. Right, and we rule the world. Two twelves in the truck back beat. Bunch of rock stars on the riverbank singing. Oh, 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 everything. Here's a couple songs that uh, have been singles that I really like. First of all, I thought I was just begging Black River to release Square Pegs on Kelsey's oh, last record. Thank you. Loved that, I song. Love that song. You can choose if you're bad, if you're good, if you're left or right. Maybe it's because I'm awkward and I'm related to it. Right. It's like, I love this song. 
Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, thank you. I, Sorry, I, I wasn't a single. Song. Oh, man. it's It happens. Life but. goes on, I guess, with the other 14 number ones. <laughs> Life goes on. You know, another one that isn't, well, I imagine. If I were a betting man, I'd bet this one's going to be a single, is this one that I I think you, Shane, and maybe Lindsay wrote Just Another Girl. Oh, yes. Yeah. Just This is on Lindsay L's record. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. I was talking to her because she, uh, a criminal, that they just put out singles doing massive, right? It's gonna yeah, be, yeah. It, that song I is, is, is going to be a top 10 song. It's mm-hmm. not even out for ads yet. It's already got like 30 ads. It doesn't yeah. go to, for next week. And so Criminal's going to be huge. And I was like, your next single's probably just another girl after <laughs> it's number one. Like, what do I know? Except a lot. Yeah, uh, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, I can pressure just. Well, you know, I hope you know somebody big in radio. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Like I remember, that was one of the last songs that it she was, had. Yeah. She was like, "Hey, I'm going to write with uh, Josh." And she, it was June Chain, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And she came back, and I was like, "Dang, that's a really good song." I said, "But we were and we were still dating at the time." And I was like, "Except that's not like a total douche. Like it sounds like you're singing about me." <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing is, Josh, I got to tell you about you songwriters, man. Like I get it too in a different way because I go on the air and I talk to whatever amount of millions of people, and I put I say really personal things. Sure. And I put it out there and. It's my therapy. You have right. to go and in, in, into a room and be super vulnerable with somebody else. That's right. And to go like, here's my sadness or here's my happiness. Right. And let's turn it into something. Well, and it's a very, and you know this as well too, because you write as well. It, it's a very vulnerable thing. I mean, you, uh, nobody, I, I don't think anybody ever wants to look like a fool. And when you sit down in those rooms, it's, it's who's the first one to say, I have an idea. Or who's the first one to say, this is what I've been going through. And, and that's why in those writing sessions you get so much of, of I don't know if this is the right thing but but you know because we're all you know trying to protect ourselves but I think that's part of what I love and especially when you get I think part of the reason again talking about Shane McAnally part of the reason that he and I write so well together is we just know each other so well and we met each other at a time when we didn't have anything going on he had a Cut. There's trust there with that too. There like is. I'm the same way with people. That Absolutely, because I, I don't feel like they're they're my buddy now because of any right. sort of success. They've been your buddy the whole time. They were my buddy when I was broke. Yep, and that's that's Shane and I. And so it's also a comfort level, and you can find that with other people eventually. Like uh, um, when Ross Copperman's another one that I write with a lot. And when Ross and I met, he had had some success, and I had had some success, but we just bonded and got really close over that. So you can definitely find it in other people and. Um, but it is a very vulnerable thing. I mean, it's very much, you're just putting it out there. You ever go to a therapist? I don't. I, oh, oh, I do man. every day from about 11 to 4. Fair yeah. enough. And I do every day from 5 until <laughs> 10. Yeah, exactly. But man, I got I, I to go tomorrow. <laughs> we talk about being vulnerable, man. This isn't from the Twitter thing, is it? We gotta... It's all, everything's from the Twitter what? thing. <laughs> everything's from Twitter. Everything. I, uh, I appreciate you coming by. Like, I'm a big fan, and I know we've been able to say hello a bunch of times. Yeah. And, and give each other half hugs, and neither one of us kind of want to. <laughs> Pat on the not back. that we don't want to be where we are. Right. It's just we don't want to be anybody's way. I, I, that's a great description. When you said that, I was like, because I feel like every time we see each other, it is very much like we're both like, oh, hey man, I want to hey, bother man, you. Man, you, you yeah. good? All right, I'm gonna just get out of your way because we met the first time at the um, the St. Jude thing a couple years ago. Oh, at the writers, yeah, deal. the WSIX thing, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and it was a huge deal for me to meet you. I was like, oh man, Bobby Ball. It was not a, no. And, and but you were but we had a very similar thing that we just kind of said hi. 
And we sort of receded into the night, you know. When I get the reputation of being this uh, loner or or douche or – because I don't talk to people. Sure. Mostly because I don't want to bother people. Right. And I'm okay with it. At this point in my life, it's like I am who I am. Right. And if you want to think I'm a dick – I just I just I just I just don't feel comfortable. I'm not the guy that goes to a room and is the life of the party. Right. And well, I, I mean me neither, but I do love, you know, but people like you. Everybody's like Josh is great. Ask them about me. It's like 90% <laughs> the other way. It's like that Bobby, I can't take much of him. I'm going to give you I'm going to leave you with one piece of wisdom. This right. is my goal of life and this is this this will help you. The reason people think that about me is I always leave early. So I don't I don't stay around long enough for them to be like, man, that guy that guy wore out his welcome. I kind of go in and I hang out for a little while, and I have this thing in my head of when is the socially acceptable time that I can duck out of here, and that is right when I duck out of there. And I'd like to leave you the piece of wisdom. Okay. Anytime there's a party and they start at seven, yes. you get there around six fifty, and they're still making the food. Don't do that. Thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, there we go. Uh, hey, dude, thanks for coming by, man. Thanks, Oh, that was good. Uh, and you wrote today, huh? I did. Is it a good one? I, I, I think it was really good. I wrote with uh, Matt Dragstrom and Jaron Johnston. Ah. Oh. So good one. Say Jaron? Yeah. Ah, uh, I think Jaron wins our biggest truck contest, right? <laughs> like, he drove a truck over, and he couldn't park it in my garage, and he threw a fit. Because <laughs> he's like, really? will you give me a parking spot? I was like, dude, I didn't know you were driving your 18-wheeler <laughs> into the parking lot. That sounds like him. I like that. Jaron's cool. I like Jaron yeah, a lot, man. He's honest. He is. So you gotta take the, a lot of the good with a little bit of the. Come on, man! Don't be. But I love that dude. I, I like that dude. All right, uh, there we go. Josh Osborne episode. My good episode. Ninety three. Ninety three. Hey, good luck in your career, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see you next time. Right, bye, everybody.